You're listening to Leading and Learning. This is the place where we talk about practical leadership, theology, fitness, how to create winning habits, and so much more. My name is David Spell, and I'm a retired police officer, a pastor, a New Testament scholar, and a leadership coach. My goal on leading and learning is to help you live your best life. Thanks so much for joining us today. Welcome back to Leading and Learning. This is episode number 203, Leadership and the Gifts of the Holy Spirit, Part 4. First of all, I want to say thank you so much for all the great feedback I've gotten on this series. This is the last episode in the series. Uh, If you missed the other three, I'd really encourage you to go back and take a look, take a listen at at what we talked about with, with gifts of the Holy Spirit in the context of leadership. Very often, we don't equate the two. We don't often link the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit and our, our ability, our talent, and our capacity as leaders. But I would really challenge you, if you didn't listen to the other three episodes, do so. It will help you. And a quick recap, we started in Romans 12 and we looked at the gifts of the Holy Spirit there. Those are uh, motivational gifts, they're often referred to, or personality gifts. These are the gifts that define and, and, and really uh, outline the way we view life. These are the filters that we view life from. These gifts also line up uh, very, very closely with our personality assessments. If you've ever had a personality assessment, you'll see that the, the, the gifts of the Spirit in that, that category, in that group in Romans chapter 12, line up with those. The second uh, group of gifts that we looked at was in Romans, or excuse me, in uh, 1 Corinthians 12. And these are often referred to as manifestation gifts. These are um, gifts that the Holy Spirit will will manifest through us in in, in ministry settings. And I'm not just talking about in the church. As we talked about, these gifts are to be taken outside the walls of the church and used in our daily life as we seek to minister to those around us. But these are often referred to as manifestation gifts or ministry gifts. But as we'll see, the terminology really doesn't make that much difference. And then Today, we're going to jump into and talk about um, the five-fold ministry. These are often referred to as ministry gifts as well, and this is from Ephesians 4. But before we do that, I want to let you know that this episode of Leading and Learning is brought to you by my book, New Testament Snapshots. If you haven't checked out this power pack little book, I really encourage you to do so. New Testament Snapshots examines the lives of 12 of the lesser-known people in the New Testament, men and women both, who played key roles in the New Testament, but yet they're not the ones that we we always hear about. They're people that are kind of standing in the background of those group photos, if you will. So check out New Testament Snapshots. I know you're going to enjoy it. It's a fascinating study. Um, I pulled not only from the the scriptural uh, evidence, but also looked into some of the other evidence that we find in the first century, some of the writings of the church fathers and church traditions as well as uh, that type of history, to kind of put together a great uh, snapshot of these great leaders. So New Testament snapshots, there's a link in the show notes. Check it out. I know you will enjoy it. Well, all right, we're back. 
We're talking about leadership and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We're ending our series today. This is part four. And I'm going to read you a passage of Scripture. This is the, the this group of gifts of the Holy Spirit. This is where they're talked about. It's in Ephesians chapter 4. And I'm going to read verses 11 to 14. It says, And he, and it's talking about Jesus, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed uh, to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes." So again, as we said earlier, this is often referred to as the fivefold ministry because there's five of these gifts, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds. Actually, in this translation, the ESV, the English Standard Version, refers to them as shepherds, but it's the same word, the shepherds or pastors, and the teachers. So apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. These are five gifts, but notice what the passage says. They're actually given to the church. These gifts are given to the church. When we talked about the, the motivational gifts, your personality gifts in Romans 12, these are gifts that are given to you. They're, they're actually hardwired inside of you um, by, the, by the Holy Spirit. It's, it's your operating system, if you will. When we look at the, the manifestation gifts that are in, um, in, in 1 Corinthians 12, we could look at these as maybe uh, applications of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit working and igniting one of these apps when we need it, or a tool. You know, we've referred to tools in the toolbox. But these gifts are given to you to use when you need it. Sometimes you need to be discerning. Um, there are other times when you may need to operate in the gift of faith. You may need to believe for a gift of miracles. Um, there are times when you may need supernatural wisdom or a word of knowledge. And gosh, I can't tell you how many times throughout the day I need to be able to pray in tongues. So these, these gifts are given by the Holy Spirit to you. But then we move into this, this realm, Ephesians 4, where we're finding these gifts are given to the church in the form of an office, in the form of a role, in the form of a person, if you will. The, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers. Now, what you'll hear in very, very many settings, more conservative settings, um, is the fact that, you know, this whole idea of apostles and prophets, we don't have those anymore. And, you know, we just were left with the, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. Well, you know, there's no scriptural basis for that. You know, I mean, that's fine, well, and good to believe that and to maybe try and, you know, build an argument for it. But you've really got to twist scripture to say that those two offices have disappeared. To say that the, the New Testament role of apostle is gone is, is silly. To say that there are no prophets today is just to, uh, to go against what the, the scriptures actually say. Now, obviously, the original 12 apostles, that was a once-in-a-lifetime thing. Jesus called those men, and, and, and you know they took the gospel into all the world. They were the ones that Jesus entrusted his ministry to. And several of them actually, you know, wrote uh, portions of Scripture that we have today in our New Testament. 
But to say that the office of apostle, the the idea of apostolic ministry doesn't exist, is to really go against the entire New Testament. Because the role of an apostle, um, the, the word apostle actually wasn't even a Christian word. It's 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 the word sent, one who is sent. And, and apostles were, were those in the ancient world who were sent as emissaries of their government, very similar to our, maybe even our ambassador, ambassador role. But, but they were going carrying the culture, carrying the, the life, carrying the, the authority of the, the government that they represented. So when we think of apostles today and the ministry that we see apostles actually holding, these are the people that you see very often that are planting churches. These are the guys that are that are serving on the mission field and, and building something. And obviously not everybody that goes to the mission field has an apostolic calling. But when you see, and I've seen, I've worked with these guys and girls, when you see them, when they go to the mission field, they're the ones that, you know, they they work and before long there's a network of churches that they've formed. Um, they've got an anointing to plant churches. They've got an anointing to lead, you know, movements to lead um, these these organizations that are taking the gospel into all the world because that's what the apostles did. So you see, people that are function in this role, they build. You know, I've I've, I've met people before and um, had a conversation with a fellow one time. He handed me a you know business card and it was a you know apostle so and so. And I asked him, I said, so, so what, what are you apostle of? And, you know, he had a small little storefront church. And, I mean, that's awesome. That's great. Look, most of the churches in the world are, are around 100 or 75 or less. There's no shame in that. But I asked him, I said, so, so what are you leading? Do you have other churches? He said, no, this is the only one I have. And I said, so why, why are you calling yourself an apostle? I'm just curious. And, and, and I think what it was, maybe it was, a, maybe it was a, a faith statement. Maybe that was what he saw happening. Or maybe he just felt that it was more prestigious to put apostle on a business card rather than pastor. You know, pastor is one of the greatest uh, titles in the universe. We'll talk about it in a few minutes. But, um, but apostles tend to lead things. They tend to lead more than one organization. They tend to, um, in, in the movement of churches that I'm connected with, our leader would probably never use the word apostle to refer to himself, but he oversees almost 600 churches. Now, did he personally start all those churches? Absolutely not. But he started you know, the, the main one, and he raised up people, and he had the vision for church planting, and he sent out others and trained them and equipped them and gave them the authority. And now he oversees an organization that is close to 600 churches throughout the world. And, you know, you see this in many other organizations as well. So so apostolic ministry hasn't died out. Um, apostolic ministry is really, you know, the key to taking the message of the gospel to the world. Because, look, I'm a missionary. I've, I've, lived, in, I've lived in Africa. I've lived in, in South America. I've, I've ministered in many, many other countries. I consider myself a, a missionary, but I've never really thought of myself in apostolic terms. Um, and I realize that, you know, for us to really, um, you know, take the gospel into other parts of the world, you know, missionaries need to be connected with apostolic organizations, with apostolic leadership, with apostolic oversight, with apost- oversight and with apostolic vision that they can take the, 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 those missionaries, to take those people and organize them 
in, in a way that, you know, and, and to have an impact much, much greater than just one person could have. So that's apostolic ministry in a nutshell. Obviously, we could go in much deeper on that. Um, the prophetic ministry. You know, prophetic ministry hasn't gone away. Um, we can say that it has, but it hasn't. Um, there's still the apostolic role that that is active in many parts of the world. And I think it would be even more active, but, you know, God's not going to send them where people don't believe in them. And in our movement, we have a number of men who have a prophetic voice, some of these that I'm even friends with, that, that have a prophetic voice, and this is their role. They function in the role of a prophetic minister. Now, what does that look like? Does that mean they're predicting gloom and doom and predicting judgment and looking into the future? Not really. I mean, there is some of that, but remember what the standard for New Testament prophecy is. We actually talked about this last week when we talked about the manifestation gifts, when we talked about the prophetic gift that we all have access to. Um, you can prophesy, but that doesn't necessarily mean you're a prophet in the five-fold ministry sense that we're talking about here, but we can all prophesy. But the standard for prophecy, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14.3, is for edification or building up, exhortation or encouragement or consolation or, edific or, or, or comfort. You're comforting people. So you're building up, encouraging, and comforting. And so that's what you see. That's the kind of ministry you see when you really experience New Testament prophetic ministry is they are building up, encouraging, um, and, and comforting. That's, that's what the, the role of a New Testament prophet is. But in this ministry setting, in, in, in the five-fold ministry that we're talking about here with the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, it's at a much higher scale than just a, an individual prophet. They're often speaking to prophetic words, to churches, to groups, um, very often they'll come into a church and maybe have a ministry time and pray over, uh, gosh, I've seen prophets go around and pray for, you know, almost everybody there, you know, maybe pray for 50, 100, 150 people. I've seen prophets by the night time the meeting's over, they're exhausted because they've prayed over everybody and very often had a prophetic word, maybe a short one, maybe a long one, but had a prophetic word for so many of the people there. Now, what does this mean when we say a prophetic word? Does this mean they're reading people's minds? Of course not. But God often gives them insight and gives them pictures in what's going on in people's lives. When I've talked to my prophetic friends, they say, you know, it depends. Sometimes God lets me see more in other people. Sometimes I see less. But he'll often give me a word or he'll give me a picture, depending on how he speaks to that person. He'll give me just maybe a verse. He'll give me a thought, a word for that person, a picture. And I'll share it. And then very often he'll give me more as I'm praying for them. Um, it's a very powerful type of ministry. And listen, New Testament prophecy never goes against God's Word. You know, that's the, the argument that you'll hear is we don't need prophetic ministry because we have the Scriptures. And again, that's just a fallacy. That's just bad theology. Um, there's, there's no place in the Bible that said that prophetic ministries ever ceased. But it always goes in line with God's Word. It always builds up, encourages, and comforts. And again, we could spend a lot of time talking about prophetic ministry, but let's move on to talk about evangelism, the evangelist. Now, we can talk about evangelism as a verb, something that, that we all should be involved in, but then we have the role of an evangelist. And this is a person. Remember, these gifts are given to the church. And the person that has the gift of evangelism, you know, probably our, our minds immediately go to somebody like a Billy Graham. And I can think of even several others that are 
still alive and active in the world today that are that are evangelists. They preach to to large groups and they have a special anointing for helping people come to Christ. It's not that we all can't. I mean, when I travel and preach and do missionary work, I always give invitations and usually have people respond. Um, you know, I've, I've preached in you know all over the world and and, and have given evangelistic you know meetings and you know give an invitation and have people come to Christ. But there are some people who this is their call in life. This is the office that they hold in the church where they serve as an evangelist. But remember what we said when we read this passage of Scripture is these gifts are given to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So when we're talking about apostolic ministry and we're talking about prophetic ministry and we're talking about the evangelist here, we're also talking about the fact that these men and women are given to not only do their thing, but to equip us to do that thing. A prophetic minister can equip others to function in prophetic ministry. An apostle can function in in, in his ministry and equip others to, to operate in that realm. The evangelist can equip others, which he should be doing, to operate in that realm. Remember, this is what it says in Ephesians 4.11. They're given to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So evangelists are given to help us also uh, mobilize to do the work of evangelism. You know, listen, evangelism may not be a lot of fun. We, we kind of have this idea in the church that, um, you know, it's optional and, you know, it's not easy. Look, it should be a part of our lifestyle. You know, fun or, 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 or easy, those words really don't even come to play. It's just part of who we are as Christians, developing a lifestyle that's evangelistic where we're looking for opportunities to share our faith. I mean, really, that's part of the Christian life. It's not optional. So apostles, prophets, evangelists, and then we move to the, the shepherds or the pastors. You know, these are the men and women who lead God's flock who provide oversight for the church in the world today. And God bless our pastors. You know, if you're in a local church and, and you've, you've got a friendship with your pastor, you know the weight that they carry. Because whether your church is 7,500 or 75, you know, whether your church is 100 people or 1,000 people, whatever the size of your church is, it doesn't matter you know that there's an incredible amount of weight that the pastor carries. And that's why in our movement we're so so big on helping our pastors develop teams to co-lead with them. Um, a pastor, you know, a senior pastor needs to have um, a, a pastoral team and other leaders that they can lean on and that can help them carry the weight. Pastoral ministry, I mean, that word shepherd really is just a brilliant um, picture of what the, she the, the pastor does because week in, week out, they shepherd the flock. You know, the pastor's done, most, most pastors in most churches, when they finish around, you know, noon or 1230, uh, 1 o'clock on a Sunday afternoon, they understand that in seven days they're going to be back in the pulpit preaching again. And in many cases, they're, they've got to prepare a midweek message or maybe some other study or class that they're teaching. On top of that, 
they're responsible for leadership and casting vision and taking care of their team. And in so many cases, you've got pastors that are doing house calls and hospital calls. And there's so much that goes into being a pastor. Some pastors enjoy counseling, and so they you know end up doing that. And so there's a lot of different things that are on a pastor's plate. And then, of course, they've got their own family to to take care of. So, you know, we encourage our pastors to build teams to to help them so that they're not having to do everything themselves. Um, I was recently in another country and, and preaching, and this was the, one of the things I was challenging some of the pastors that I was connecting with because I saw so many of these guys. They had small churches, you know, maybe 75 to 100, but they were doing everything themselves. And I really challenged them to build a team people that they're developing as leaders, but also people that can help them carry the weight of the ministry. So pastors, we appreciate you. We thank God for you. And, uh, you know, again, remember what we said, they're also equipping as well. Um, we want our pastors to, um, you know, maybe not, maybe not work themselves out of a job, but in a lot of cases, that's not a bad thing to do. If a pastor can train somebody else to go visit the hospital, if a pastor can train somebody else to, um, you know, do some of the things that they can do, maybe instead of teaching that class, let one of their key guys or girls teach the class, that's one less thing the pastor has to do. So equipping others for ministry is something the pastors do as well. And then the last one, teachers. And often you see pastors and teachers you know, almost used simultaneously, but there's a definite difference. Um, I think some of the best pastors also function in a, in a, in a great role of communication. You know, the, the best pastors are also good communicators, whether it's that's, that's in preaching and teaching. But you've got many, many teachers that are not pastors, and that's fine. They don't have to be. But, but a teacher role in the church is so important. And let me tell you, the Apostle Paul actually gave this as a criteria for people who would want to lead in the church. If you read, I believe it's in 1 Timothy, he said one of the requirements for being a, an overseer or a leader in the church, an elder, if you will, was they had to be able to teach. They had to be able to teach. That was one of the requirements he gave. And, you know, we're all teaching, whether it's one-on-one or whether we're teaching a group um, or in some other setting, we're all called to teach. But this role, this role in the fivefold ministry of the teacher is that person who knows how to bring God's word to light, to to, to open the scriptures and share things, and, and you're going to see things you've never seen before. They're that person that when you hear them teach, your your mind is blown, your your horizons are broadened, you've You've seen things you've never seen before. You've heard things you've never heard before. And God's Word has just come alive in a new way. That's a New Testament teacher. And, you know, we all love to hear from those guys and girls. Now, that doesn't mean the apostle doesn't teach or the prophet doesn't teach or the evangelist or the pastor don't teach. Of course, we all, you know, can can flow into those different roles from time to time. But the person who has the gift of teaching um, they're that person that when we sit and listen to them, they may teach for 45 minutes or an hour, and we'll glance at our watch thinking it's only been 15 minutes because they have that power to hold our attention. But also, they are called to equip us so that we can be teachers ourselves. They're called to equip others and to train others to help them 
do the ministry as well. So in each one of these roles, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, we see what we might even call the government roles of the church. When you've got all five of these roles in operation within a church, you've got a healthy church. Now, there's plenty of churches that that are probably healthy that may not have all five of these things in operation. But I tell you, without all five of these in some way or another, in some function or another, that church is going to hit its ceiling pretty quick. But when you put in all five of these roles, when you've got all five of these ministries operating in a local church, then you're going to see that church explode in ways that you can't even imagine. Well, I'd love to hear from you. What's been your experience in the fivefold ministry? Is this something that's new to you? Or is this something you've you've heard or experienced before? I, I get it. The, the, ideas of, the idea of apostles and prophets being functional today might be a little bit strange to some folks. I'd love to hear what you think. Um, go to davidspell.com, leave a question or comment in the comment section for today's post. Make sure while you're there, you sign up to get my free newsletter. I'd love to stay in touch with you. Make sure while you're at davidspell.com, you click up at the top on the um, the books link. That takes you to all my resources. I've got 12 books out there. I mentioned New Testament snapshots, but check them all out. You'll find something there that you'll enjoy. Well, friends, I hope this has been helpful to you. Thanks so much for being with me, and I'll see you next time on Leading and Learning.